Hello, and welcome to Your Next Career Step, a podcast from the Alumni UBC Career Education Program. I'm Nicole Eusting. On the next four episodes, we'll be exploring how career paths can be forged by paying attention to possibilities. For many listeners, developing an entrepreneurial mindset may seem like a difficult task, but there are ways for us to foster and develop this mindset. That is our focus today. In today's episode, learn how alumnus Grant Monroe has developed an entrepreneurial mindset and what strategies you can adopt and try. Grant is a serial entrepreneur. He recently founded a B2B venture studio aimed at launching three to four new software businesses a year. Prior to that, he was a founder of Flashdoc Technology, a leading provider of on-demand visual content for the world's leading brands. Flashdoc was acquired by Shutterstock in 2017 for $75 million Canadian. To date, Grant has helped more than 250 enterprise marketing teams, including AB InBev, L'Oreal, Nestle, McDonald's, amongst many others, change the way they think, develop, and source creative content at scale. Grant, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us today from Ontario. Since the start of the coronavirus pandemic, it has left many of us experiencing change and a lot of uncertainty. In fact, there's still a lot of uncertainty in our future. And I've heard that having an entrepreneurial mindset is helpful, especially as we adapt to situations. And you don't necessarily need to be an entrepreneur to engage in entrepreneurial thinking, but it is helpful during times of change. So Grant, as a successful entrepreneur, what does it mean to have an entrepreneurial mindset? It's a good question. I think as a core principle, which is obviously is pretty important now with coronavirus happening, is a mindset of creating your own opportunities versus filling a role in something that exists today. And I think if you take that mindset and you take that perspective, it allows you to think a little bit differently and like really sort of t- really tactically speaking, are you looking to fulfill a job that already exists and, and you're looking to fill a seat or are you actually looking to create something new, something unique and something novel? If that's ultimately your goal, all the things that you do would be that mindset. Breaking that down a bit further, one of the common themes you'll hear across most people that have started some sort of business or are entrepreneurs they do things that they're interested in and passionate about. And that's something that's hard to do, especially when you're a new graduate, because you may not have the life experience, but generally people have inclinings. And it's really, really important that you are aware of those things and track them and be aware of the things that you are interested in and bring that into your thoughts process and where you go. Once you figure that out and you figure out what you want to do and you figure out you know things that you're interested in, it's important to get involved into those things. And when you're doing it, you're observing and asking questions. And the goal of that with this entrepreneurial mindset is, is to identify problems. And I think that's one thing that, that, that you hear a lot is everything starts with a problem, but it, it couldn't be more true. And I think entrepreneurs, they're not visionaries generally. They, they are people who, are, who just take these cyber glances, doing their regular things that they enjoy to do every day. And they, and they notice problems and they ask questions of themselves like, why is it like this? And, and what if it was like this? And how would I do that? Once they've identified those problems, they then take it to the next level, which is actually validating to see if this is in fact a real problem. And so they'll go out and they'll talk to a bunch of people and they'll meet a bunch of people and try to determine whether or not they've identified something unique. And then once they've done that, sort of move on to the solutioning, which is the actually the easy part. And of course, you know, doing the work. And so sort of if you take that mindset into any capacity, whether you're looking for your first job or you, you know, you've lost your job and you're looking for another job. It's kind of the same thing. It's like 
you know, go out, identify the, the fact that you need a job, go out and talk to a bunch of people, learn from them, you know, no ego, completely humble, figure out what you need to do to fulfill what you're trying to fulfill based on that feedback and then actually work on that self-development piece to do it. Would you say it would be be aware, identify the problem, ask questions, validate it and come up with solutions? Would that be kind of a synopsis of an entrepreneurial mindset or way of thinking? Yeah. And I, I just think it's having, it's, it's, there's almost a mindfulness component. Like instead of walking down the street, walking down the street, listening to a podcast or, um, well, it's a bad example talking about podcasts because we're on a podcast, but, uh, <laughs> you know, st- sticking your nose in an Instagram feed as opposed to just putting your head up and, and looking around and, and just observing things around you, I think is one of the skills that anyone can develop where you're actually, you're trying to identify areas that you can help in anything that you do and building that muscle is super important. And I think no matter what you want to do, having that awareness of sort of trying to see the force on the trees is, is something that's really important. People who aren't traditional entrepreneurs, do you think this mindset can be taught and learned? I think it for sure can be learned. 100% can be learned. I don't think you can, okay. you can't read a, read a book about it or take a course about it and, and become an entrepreneur. It's much more of an apprenticeship. And so apprenticeships are put forth for a reason where, you, you know, you know, the acquisition of some sort of skill just takes practice and time and mentorship. Once you're thoughtful about it and, and you do it in practice, it becomes really, really, you know, really straightforward. And it's like simple things. Like if you're, if you're waiting in line to order a coffee, sort of observe what that interaction is like and observe why it is that way and ask your question, if it, why is it that way? And are there opportunities to make it better? Maybe not, but if, if you ask those types of questions for, for many, many other things, that will become your default mindset and you'll start to see problems everywhere. And then I think that's the point where it gets really interesting for people. I think, you know, coming out of university or, or sort of traditional structured academics, you're not really trained to think that way. It's like, here's the path, do the work, follow the path, get a good grade. You know, there isn't that many opportunities to look at, the, look at things from that perspective, just from an observational perspective. And so the more you practice that, the better you'll get. My goodness, it sounds like you have your entrepreneurial hat on at all times of the day. Never comes off. Well, that's <laughs> well, that's one of the things. Like that's it's funny. That's the you know one of the things that people learn when they get into careers is this debate about work life balance. And in my opinion, you know that's an interesting debate for jobs that you don't really like. And it's like, can I carve out time for myself to do things that I like? Being an entrepreneur and starting a business, you don't really think that way. At least I don't. It's something that you're intrinsically passionate about and motivated about, and you really enjoy doing it. And so it's not work; it's just a way that you think. And I think the more you practice it, the easier it becomes. And if you love it, then you love doing it. You spoke about university. Tell us more about your first couple of roles out of university. UBC was a great experience. So I grew up in Ontario and my main motivation to going to school at UBC was to not be in my parents' house. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I moved there and my initial inclination was that I wanted to sort of study arts and, and, and be potentially an English teacher. And so once I started UBC, I was in the English program, but found I didn't really, I didn't love it. I didn't love the curriculum. I found that sort of writing and getting graded on subjective essays just didn't really jive with my personality. And I, I tended to have an aptitude towards more of physics and, and pure mathematics. And I just liked it better. And uh, I remember speaking to a guidance counselor and he asked me some really great questions about why I chose arts versus science and, you know, what I wanted to be. And you know, questions like, do you want to be an English teacher or do you want to be a math teacher? And, and it basically helped me determine my path, which ultimately led me to computer science. The beauty of computer science is, for me anyway, when you're working on 
coding and you're trying to solve a problem through software, it's just this, it's all encompassing. Like you're so focused on the problem at hand that, that you lose all concept of time and going to age myself a little bit. When I was in CompSci at UBC, I'd have to do my work in the computer labs and they'd have these timers every three hours. You'd have to leave your computer for 15 minutes. I'm not sure why they did it. And like these three hour intervals would just just fly by and there was no other subject that I ever take, that I ever took that, that I was that engaged. And for me, that was just like such a strong signal that there was something there. And it was such a challenging problem. Like it was such a challenging craft that I, I just really enjoyed it. And so when I graduated, I wasn't necessarily looking at, I want to join a startup. I want to join a big company. I just wanted to be a developer. And so I got the opportunity to work for a big company, Motorola, out of, out of, Vancouver, out of Vancouver. And it was actually a really interesting experience because it was my first exposure to a corporation. And my assumption was being a developer at a big company would be the same as being a developer at university, and it's not at all. <laughs> it's like university, you're, you're sort of learning and coding like 90% of the time at this big company. I, you know, you're writing documents and testing and in meetings like 90% of the time and coding 10% of the time. And that's, that's obviously going to differ by industry. But for a big company working in telecommunications, like I wasn't writing a lot of impactful code. And so as much as I like the technical challenge, I just, I wasn't doing enough coding. And so I ended up switching companies after a few years, uh, same space, another big company working for Nokia, building applications for mobile devices. So pre-iPhone, um, Nokia was the, the end-all be-all of, of mobile phones. And yeah, totally different culture, way more coding, super interesting, uh, really enjoyed it. And then it kind of got to a point where I just wasn't being technically challenged anymore. And I realized, I actually remember the, the day specifically, I was working in Nokia, I'd been there for a few years. And I was, it was a Friday night and there was a big code freeze at the end of the week for this big release. And I was sitting there looking around and all my peers were you know, 15, 20 years older than me and loved coding, very technically strong. And I just sort of fast forwarded my life to that and realized I didn't want to do it anymore. It just wasn't that interesting. The, the novelty had sort of worn off and and that sort of led me on my entrepreneurial journey. Seems like you've been pretty self-aware at an early age, but what led you down the path of starting your own business? It's a good question. It's always something that's that sort of niggled at me from a very young age. And it probably comes from my parents. My family moved from Scotland when we were really young. So I, I landed in Canada when I was seven. My parents, uh, you know, they moved taking huge risks to come to this country. And, you know, Scotland's not a third world country by any stretch, but there's way more opportunities in a country like Canada. And, and I think their response was get a job to provide you security as a means to control all the uncertainty in their life. And so they very much valued getting a job at a big company and staying there and getting, an, you know, making an honest living. But I could kind of tell that they really idolized the entrepreneurs and like when they come across someone who was running their own business or you know doing something on their own they just you know they would rave about these people and i think that sat with me and, and stuck with me for a long period of time and i always just saw that as just like the ultimate achievement was being able to control your own destiny and start something and that you know that took a while to manifest into actual work for me but it's something that i always did and so when i was even you know when i was a software developer i'd always have these little side projects and these little side hustles that I wasn't fully committed to, but was always, you know, always kept my appetite uh, strong for, for the entrepreneurial side. Were there any entrepreneurs that your parents really admired that influenced your decision to, to start your business more in a full-time capacity? Yeah. You know, I think what they did, there, there wasn't one person that stood out, but they would, 
really celebrate like so when people think about entrepreneurs like especially coming out of university and and high end tech like it's all all this high tech you know emerging cutting edge stuff like really exciting really sexy my my parents didn't they didn't know anything about that and so they would meet like the guy who ran his own landscape gardening company to the to the to the guy who owned auto dealerships and there was just this huge amount of respect and admiration for any type of entrepreneur as long as they were taking risks and doing something meaningful for people and i think that's what you know that principle of it doesn't really matter what type of business you're running if you're able to if you're able to carve a niche out for yourself no matter what it's one of the most amazing empowering things you can do as a human being and I, that that stuck with me this whole time. And so I was never there was never a persona or a, someone I admired. It was more just the the principle of of owning your own destiny by starting your own business that was really appealing. We'll be right back. This episode of Your Next Career Step is supported by Manulife. As a trusted partner of Alumni UBC, the Manulife program is dedicated to helping UBC alumni get access to preferred rates on life, health and dental, and travel insurance. Find out more at alumni.ubc.ca slash Manulife. As an entrepreneur, what's the biggest risk you've taken to date? Yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a hard question to ask just because you leave a job. Like, that's about it. Like, at the end of the day, like, I think I, I think one of the common traits that you see with entrepreneurs is they have, they just have a good perspective on what real risk is, right? Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, if you run out of money, like, so what? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not going to starve. We, li- we live in Canada here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there isn't a tremendous amount. All the risks are external. It's like reputational risk you know, career risk, but at the end of the day, does it really matter? You know, and, and the reality is it doesn't, it, it, you may think it does, but it, in reality it doesn't. I never really viewed it as taking huge risks. It was more like implications on my lifestyle that were either acceptable or not acceptable. And so, so for me, it wasn't really a barrier per se. Some people come out of university, like hell bent that they're going to start their own company yeah. and other people sort of, you know, really enjoy challenges of all these different types of work. And then at some point they reach a plateau where they're not being challenged anymore. And so naturally gravitate towards smaller and smaller businesses, which sort of take you at some point to the same place where you're like, okay, for me to be really ultimately challenged, I'm going to start my own business. I kind of fell that path where I was perfectly happy being a developer until I wasn't. (laughs) And then I was perfectly happy being a product manager until I wasn't. You know, at some point for me, the only path was to really start a business. So I think either is acceptable, but like the notion of risk was never really an obstacle for me. I should say that as I'm in a very fortuitous position, Mm -hmm. right? Like I went to a good school, I had a good job, like money was never a real option. And I recognize for a huge percentage of the population, Mm -hmm. that's not the case. And so I just want to make it clear that I I'm not ignorant to that fact. Yes, thanks for sharing. For people who like to plan things out, and I can certainly relate to that, what our new reality resembles is life kind of like an entrepreneur where we constantly have to pivot. We may not know what tomorrow brings. What tips can you share to folks who like to logically plan every detail out before moving forward? Yeah, I actually think that personality is really well suited for starting a business, which is like the creative endeavor. Oh, okay. Fidelity of the plan, I think, is the is the important part. One of the reasons why I decided, okay, if I'm going to start a business, now's the time. I was listening to someone talk who was a, a serial entrepreneur. And this this gentleman, he was a, an investment banker at Goldman Sachs in New York, making tons of money. Like He knew deep down that he wanted to start a business. 
And so he sort of deferred that to get a few years experience at Goldman Sachs, but he had, he set a schedule for himself that he would quit and start a business no matter what. And so that date hit and he had no idea what business he was, he was going to go in. And he was based in Toronto, quit his job at Goldman Sachs, which obviously took a lot of conviction, flew, flew to Toronto and was driving back from the Toronto airport back into downtown and noticed that all the storage facilities in Toronto were outside of the city, where in New York, they're inside of the city where you have to use your credit card and they're, and they're much higher end and much higher security. And so that spurred his business. And when he was talking through the story, one thing sort of stood out for me was he was thinking about being on his deathbed and explaining to someone why or why not he would do something. And so the question was like, did you ever start your business? And for him, it was much more acceptable to say, yeah, I, I I, I started a business and I failed versus I never started or I never tried. And so that was just like a horrible outcome. And so in talking about planning, I think if you're able to take an actual really long-term like existential view of your life <laughs> and recognize that for you to achieve something meaningful, you sort of have to break it out into big blocks. And if you if you want to do something know what that thing is and then work backwards from there in terms of all the big steps. I think, you know, most people go through life just taking one opportunity at a time and not sort of thinking about what's next and what's next and what's next. And if you're able to do that, I think it gives you way more perspective in terms of your career choices. And like a good way, a good way to determine if you're that type of person I've always found is if you can't say no to opportunities, right? And so you've got all of these diverse opportunities that are presented to you and you you're sort of hoeing and humming in terms of what to take, that that tells that should tell you that you don't actually know the path you want. And so you should spend some time thinking about that path. And then once you've defined that path and you're excited about that path, it's actually easy to figure out what to do next. And so that's where the pl- that's where the planning comes in. So it's like, okay, I want to be an enterprise sales representative and that's your passion. It's like, okay, once you've realized that, there's real tangible steps that you can take every week to move move the ball forward to get you to there. So I think that planning mentality coupled with sort of a long-term perspective on your life and like how long actually things take uh, is, is really powerful. So sometimes when these opportunities come to you, and I think having a yes mentality, as you mentioned, is, you know, it could be a good thing, but to some, it could come across as being reactive. So as an entrepreneur, how do you stay grounded, agile, and just sort of navigate reacting to certain scenarios. If you don't have a conviction in your direction, you don't have a career plan, you don't have aspirations for a certain Mm -hmm. discipline, you don't know what you want to do, it's going to be really hard to say no to things that look like their potential upside. If you don't know, which is newly graduated or a few years out of school, like that's that's a fair thing to be. Like you shouldn't be critical about yourself. But you should use the opportunities to figure out what you do like. And so you should go into it with that mindset. And so if, if the only job that you can get is sales and you have no other experience, go into sales just trying to get as much experience as you want. And don't really care about anything else. You don't really have to care about salary that much. It's not going to change in reality too much. Title, like all that stuff doesn't really matter if your focus is on acquisition of skill and determining whether or not that's for you or not. And then as you, the more the breadth of experience that you get – both professional or, or personal, you're going to start to notice what you naturally gravitate to. So 
what are the things that don't require a lot of energy? What are the things that you can work much longer than other things? What are the things you get excited about? And you use those signals to tell you what you actually like. And then from that, derive a better plan. If you work for a company that has a million projects on the go and no strategy, and they can never kill any of those projects, it's the same problem. It's because they don't actually know, recognize the opportunity cost. They only recognize the upside of everything. And if you don't have that North Star then you're never going to have the framework to make those types of decisions. And so I think early on in your career, no matter what, if you don't know what you want to do, your goal is to, t- to try a bunch of different things to figure out what you do like as quickly as possible. Because as soon as you figure that out, it just gets so much easier. And especially when you're a new graduate, like the one thing that you have as an advantage is time, right? And so if you spend f- five years hoeing and humming and then another five years in a job that you don't like, you know, you're, you just cut out 10 years of productive time. And it, it sounds like a lot of time, but in reality, it's not. And it goes by in a blink. So earlier and also just now, you were talking about creating your own opportunities and finding ways to identify a problem and coming up with solutions. I imagine that a part of it there's an element of creativity. So what inspires your creativity? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a really interesting subject. So I think starting a business, building a product is like one of the ultimate manifestations of of creativity and I think the general folklore around the startup and the tech scene is sort of someone's walking down the street and this light bulb appears over their head and they run off and sort of start this amazing world-changing company. But it, it's just not not really how it works in practice. Like usually I've interviewed sort of 50 plus in the last, let's say three, four weeks, 50 plus founders about how they came up with their idea. For most cases, it's derived from the identification of a problem. And so all the academic sort of psychology around how do you come up with creative ideas really breaks it down into four four phases. And it, I think it's really applicable to any startup. The first phase is what they call preparation. And it's sort of a technical term, but the idea is basically you go deep on any specific domain and learn as much about that domain as possible and then cover things that don't make sense, that don't work. Because you're so interested in them, be it, let's say, software development, you're naturally going to bump up to the edge of those capabilities and you're, and you're naturally going to notice gaps. Once you've noticed those things, you spend a bit of time subconsciously thinking about them. And so you actually move away from the problem. You're not necessarily thinking about it. You're going for walks. You're working on other projects. And that's called the incubation period where you've, you've done all this different diverse work based on your interests. And now as you're not even thinking about them, your, your brain is actually making all of these associations in its subconscious, which lead to the, the next step, which is the aha moment where you're like, okay, I think, I, I think I've got something here. Then once you've got that, once you've got that, you can go out and actually see if it's real. And so you can verify it. And so when you, when you recognize the, the creative process, both like being a, an artist, a photographer, uh, a writer, uh, an entrepreneur, you can, you can optimize your day around that. And you can optimize how you think around that to allow you to basically come up with more interesting ideas. And I think when, when you start to dig into that, it becomes really empowering because it feels like you know, you're not waiting for this, you know, this magical God to give you a gift of creativity. It's like, no, you're, you're, you're learning and you're thinking and you're identifying problems and then you're letting the body do its natural thing and you will inevitably come up with a really creative idea, assuming that you've done your groundwork in terms of that research. That would be the preparation, the incubation stage, and then just the aha stage and then it's kind of moving forward from there. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Before we started this podcast, we were talking about how many interviews you've been a part of. And I had no idea it was to the extent of 50 plus founders from different uh, companies around North America. Looking back at those interviews, is there a common theme that you've kind of I mean, without knowing the exact topic that you were talking to them about, but are there any common themes that you can kind of weave and navigate together that can support new graduates in this current state? I think the thing that really stands out from those people, from from people who don't do that, is they have at a relatively young age, like good perspective in terms of what they want to do. And so that can manifest in a number of ways. Like they're either, you know, extremely passionate about something or, you know, they're not happy with just getting a day job or they want a certain lifestyle. And so they come to this realization at any stage in life that starting their own business is is the path forward. You don't really see that from everybody, but from from people who have started a business, obviously it's it's pretty self-selecting. And so that can happen early. So they've got this real clarity on what they want to be. And then there's also sort of the second thing is there there's no ego involved. And so a lot of these people, you know, are either technical or or not technical and interested in a field that they may not have expertise. And they'll go out and learn as much as possible and be really humble. Like they won't they won't assume that they know everything. They assume they know nothing and they kind of go out and do it. And then when they've they've identified something that they think is meaningful, they don't sit on the idea for months and years. They actually go out and do something about it. And so I think those three things, like kind of clarity on what you want to do and why and, and doing it for the right reasons, not having an ego about it, learning as much as possible, and then actually doing meaningful work to action those ideas uh, is really the thing that stands out. My last question for you, what are three qualities of an entrepreneur that that you can share to help our listeners navigate our new normal? First and foremost, having perspective on on your life and where you want to go. Like I think if you if you don't know what you want to do, that should be your priority is, is figuring that out. Because if you, if you do something that you don't generally want to do, you will not be successful at it. And I'm not talking, you, may, you, know, you may make a bit of money, but at some point in your life, you will be very unhappy. And so the sooner you learn that, the sooner you figure that out, the, the, more, the more time you have to do the stuff that you really like. And it's very cliche, but think about it. If you're sitting in a job that you don't like and you're sitting next to someone who loves their job, they're going to be so much better at their job than you. Like they're thinking about it all the time. They're spending more energy on it. And you'll never be able to compete with that. Spend a bunch of time thinking like that. And, and those are the skills that I think people can reflect on. And there's a number of ways you can do that. When I'm going out and interviewing all of these people, it's, it's not because I have a huge network. I'm, I'm cold outreaching to people. And so no matter what position, what role, what you want to do, there's hundreds of people out there that have done it already. Go and talk to them. Go and introduce yourself. Say, hey, I want to learn about all the stuff that you do. People love talking about themselves. And, you know, more times than not, they'll be willing to do that. So so, so be really thoughtful there. And so that's that's number one. The second thing also is no ego, in, internal values, and make sure that you're doing things for the right reason based on what you think is the good life for you. And not worrying about what other people think about you or, or whether or not you should be following this career path or that career path. None of that stuff matters. And then the final thing is do the work. Like do things. Actually action it. You know, take those steps. You know, put a bit of money in. Test it out. Just don't sit on it and think about it. Do stuff. If you don't know what to do, talk to people who have done it and they can show you the steps forward. 
excellent advice. Grant, thank you so much. It's been absolutely wonderful speaking to you and learning more about your experience and um, and about developing an entrepreneurial mindset and what sort of lessons you've learned along the way. So thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Your Next Career Step is a production of Alumni UBC's Career Education Program. Thank you to our host, Nicole Easting, and to our guest, Grant Monroe. Thank you to everyone involved with creating this podcast and our affinity sponsors, TD Insurance, BMO Alumni UBC MasterCard, and Manulife Financial. A big thank you especially to Jenna McCann, Brian Short, Mike Omak, Pam Yan, and Danielle Flan. And of course, to you, our audience. Thanks for listening. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, rate and review this podcast to help others find us. On our next episode, we will feature two UBC Bachelor of Commerce students who host The Empathy Show, Karina Koo and Shirag Jadwani, a podcast that brings together leaders in medicine, education, entertainment, and technology to promote a culture of empathy. It will be aired in two weeks. See you then.